Father, Lord. Our hearts so easily turn inward. It's far too easy for us to put ourselves first. So I pray in these moments you would convict us. You would shape us for the good of your kingdom and for the good of others, for your glory. Pray that these words would be yours and not my own. Holy Spirit. In the powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Uh, it is good to be back in the pulpit. It's good to see your faces. Uh, if you don't know who I am, uh, my name is David. I'm the teaching pastor here at Hollis Center Church and a member of the preaching team. And I'm happy to be here on this cool morning. Now, I've entitled this message, Rocks Ahead. We're going we're gonna to get to what that means in a second. But if you remember last week, so Steve had kind of a New Year's message, a message giving us wisdom for the new year, and, and I kind of get my turn at that sort of this morning. But Steve, in his time in Ecclesiastes, there, there were two bits of wisdom we find in the book of Ecclesiastes that I think kind of rose to the top in my own mind, especially as I was studying for this message. And one of those is that we don't know the future. Or that's not something that God has really given to mankind. We do not know whether 2023 is going to be a good year or a bad year for this church, a good year or a bad year in our own families, our own personal lives. But we've been given the responsibility and the hope of trusting our creator in 2023. But also something that Steve uh, briefly did mention, as we see in the book of Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun. That in this life, we see patterns emerge. That we as people are very predictable. Our hearts are reasonably predictable, and we see the same patterns emerging over and over and over again in human history. And so while we do not know what the future holds, we can see a lot of patterns in this life. Now, as many of you know, I like to enjoy the outdoors. I wouldn't say I'm an expert outdoorsman, and especially when it comes to canoeing, I'm not an expert canoeist, if that's even the proper term. But the past couple of years, I've really gotten into canoeing and fixing canoes, and I've also enjoyed the past two years, um, you know, hanging out with some people that canoe down rapids. Not huge rapids, okay, I don't have a death wish, but, you know, some small rapids can be really enjoyable. And it's interesting, you also learn this, you know, if you're, if you're into fishing, is that streams and rivers are predictable and also unpredictable at the same time. That, you know, you do not know what is going to be around the next bend if you have not been around the next bend. And even if you have, maybe it changed while you were gone. But at the same point in a stream, there are the same patterns. There are, the sa- there, there are runs. There are riffles. There are shallow areas where there are rocks sticking through and you can see them in the water. You can see that rippling effect on the surface. And there are rocks. If you canoe through there, you need to evade the rocks. You might even need to carry the canoe so you don't destroy it. And then eventually, I think put a cool little diagram up there, for those of you that you know, want a little science lesson, that carves out a pool. It carves out an area where the water is deep, and it's very enjoyable to just paddle right through it. The water is generally pretty calm, and you don't have to worry about a lot of rocks, and there's good fishing in there. But 
pretty much every time, unless the river has turned into a lake, that pool shallows out back into rocky terrain. And that's something you have to look out for if you're canoeing. Now, like I said, we don't know what the future holds, but as a pastor here at this church, I think we are seeing a pattern, or at least there's a pattern that we should be aware of going forward. You know, we've been on a journey for several years now. Um, For those of you that were here kind of during the turmoil of 2016 and then 2017, we kind of came to a realization as a church that we needed to be more invested in our community. That it wasn't just about us. I mean, we had a a great reputation of knowing our Bibles well and having good theology But we often were unwelcoming and unloving, not universally, but there there was a reputation there. And so we spent years trying to, to run from that and grow in loving our community and loving others as Jesus would have us. And then COVID hit, right? And that just kind of shook everything up in in the aftermath of COVID and a bunch of people um, leaving the church, just a divisive time to exist, um, let alone be a Christian involved in a church. One of the things that we realized is, man, uh, we kind of started to neglect the people sitting around us in the church. That our relationships had gotten shallow. And so this year has been a fantastic year at this church. We've seen people come to know the Lord. We've seen a ton of baptisms. I, I've seen you guys just connect with each other more than ever because we realized what we were missing out on during COVID. And so we've tried to build closer community. I've seen a lot of you commit yourselves to that. And so in a sense, this year has, this past year, 2022, has been a pool. It's just felt awesome. But we have to to recognize that sometimes you hear the rumbling because the pool doesn't last forever. And as we get busier, I mean, all of our lives, right, this past year, the one word I hear from everyone is busy. As we've kind of come out of that, that time where there was nothing going on and then we're coming into a time where all the programs are ramping back up and, and families are gathering together and everything is, is, seems busier than ever, the danger is that as we fall back into our old patterns, that we become self-centered again. That, that we would not come together as a church with the purpose of serving one another and serving our community and serving beyond, but they would become, well, it's really about me. I've had a hard week. I just need to kind of come here and unwind, and these people need to take care of me. So today we're going to look at this idea that taking the form of a servant, following Jesus' example, is the cure to destructive and selfish consuming. This mindset of just coming, saying, hey, I'm going to come here, I'm going to absorb the content, I'm going to receive what people have for me, and then I'm going to go on my merry way. That destroys churches. And the cure to it is taking on the form of a servant, the form of a servant that Jesus has shown to us. So please turn with me. In your Bibles to Matthew 20, verses 20 through 28. This is one of three passages we are going to zoom through today. Um, If you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen. And there are some black hardcover Bibles scattered around this room that you are uh, welcome to take if you don't have a Bible. So just to kind of give the the background for these verses, two of Jesus' followers had come to him and they had asked for special seats. They wanted to sit on his left and on his right when he came into his kingdom. Now, they were kind of misunderstanding what Jesus' kingdom was going to look like. And and to make matters worse, they also dragged their mommy into it. And they had their mommy kind of advocate to Jesus so that they could get these special spots in his coming kingdom. And, of course, Jesus' other disciples are not happy about this. 
And so there's kind of some squabbling around this whole situation. And in verse 25, Jesus says, he calls them to himself and he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' followers are kind of squabbling about, well, who gets the better seat? Who gets the better position in the coming kingdom? And Jesus' response is, well, put the brakes on, okay? The politicians around here and the kings around here, they love to exercise authority. They love to get into a position and exercise power over people and say, you have to obey me because I have this position and I'm special. He says, that is not how my kingdom is going to operate. That is not how you are going to live. You're not going to dominate with power over one another. But if you want to be great in my kingdom, the path to greatness is to be a servant. He says, I am the example of this. He says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That God himself in the flesh, Jesus Christ, he came not to force everyone to bow down to him and to give him gifts and give him praise, even though he's the one being in existence who deserves all of it. He came to die, to be a ransom for his people, to pay for their sins. That's the example we have. And we see another uh, piece of this powerful, powerful picture in Philippians chapter 2. You can turn there with me as well. Uh, Some of you might be tired of me going to this passage. But it's just such a powerful, convicting image of our Savior. Philippians 2, starting in verse 1. It says, and this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. We're going to pause right there. Paul is appealing to this church, and he says, look, if Jesus matters anything to you, if God has come into your life and he's changing you, and he's changing your character to look more like Christ, if you have affection and sympathy and joy, you need to be one. You need to have the same mind and the same love. And isn't it so true that often as churches, we tend to drift to one end or the other? That either you got people to say, oh, we just want to love, 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 but they don't have unity around what they believe and they fall apart. Or a church that says, man, we really want to be of one mind. You have to believe exactly every single little sentence that we believe. And they're all about doctrinal purity, but they miss the love. And the thing is, in Christ, those two are perfected. And that's what he wants for his people, that we would be of one mind, we would have unity of thoughts, but also unity of affection, unity of love. And he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or 
conceit. For those of you that are old school, maybe your KJV would say faction and vain glory. Those are kind of cool words. Faction and vain glory. Selfish ambition or conceit. Man, it can really mess a church up when everyone is looking to get what they want and make themselves look great. Here's a really old quote. There's a guy named John Chrysostom. He was a preacher a long, 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 long time ago. And he said, in in referencing this passage, he said, Hence, it is that love waxes cold. That is, that love grows cold. When we love the praises of men, when we are slaves to the honor which is paid by the many, and this this is the line that really gets me, For it is not possible for a man to be the slave of praise and also a true servant of God. Ouch. Because I can really be a people pleaser at at times. Right? This is something we we struggle with, especially with social media. Right? There's this pressure and this temptation to gain glory and attention for ourselves, and yet that is not God's design for his people. that we would be servants to one another. And this is the solution that Paul offers this church to their conflicts in verse 4. He says, um, sorry, the second half of verse 3, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. So he says, look, put other people's interests before your own. And then he gets to Jesus as the perfect example of this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the perfect example of the backwardness or upside-downness of his kingdom. That him being the one being who deserves all glory, all praise, came in the form of a servant. He humbled himself. He didn't even consider equality with God the Father a thing to be grasped, even though he has it. And he died for us. And yet through Christ's suffering, being raised from the dead, ascending to the Father, he is exalted above all other beings. And all of that was through being the form, being in the form of a servant. Right? And this is the good news for us. Right? Because we as human beings are selfish to our core. Not that we sometimes do things Not that we don't sometimes do things that are not selfish, but our hearts are broken. They are bent towards ourselves and away from our creator. And living in our sin, we are under his wrath. We're under the punishment of the righteous judge. And yet that same judge came down in humility and paid the penalty for us. We put our trust in Jesus. We are forgiven and we are exalted. We get to go from being criminals to sons and daughters of the king of the universe. That's what we were created to do. That's the place we were created to be is at our father's side. 
Ephesians 4, last passage. Ephesians 4. Starting in verse 10. Referring to Jesus. It says, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So we're going to pause right there. That when Jesus ascended, he gave gifts to his people. That our God has given gifts to his people. And, And it's a topic that maybe we haven't talked about enough, but is that of spiritual gifts. That God equips his people in special, unique ways to serve others. And here, in this specific passage, it's referencing apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. These are all positions, and Christians today kind of argue about, you know, to what degree do those still work, and, you know, to what degree do we use those as titles. But the bottom line is, uh, for what we're going to talk about today, that these are generally leadership gifts. These are generally the gifts of the people that you give the title pastor or elder. And so what is the purpose of leaders in the church? What is the purpose of these people who have these certain gifts? Well, it says in verse 12, it says to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Well, that's interesting because often we see hiring someone is a way to do the ministry. Well, we're going to hire someone to do the ministry. We're going to hire someone to fix this. We're going to hire someone so I can bring my neighbors to them, and then they can tell them the gospel. And yet the role of leaders, teachers, and all of these people in the church is to equip all of us to do the work of the ministry. The ministry is our collective responsibility. It doesn't rest on a single person or a certain type of gifting. All of us have different gifts, but we all have a place in doing the work of ministry. And this ministry is for building up the body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Verse 15, rather... Speaking the truth in love, there it is once again, truth in love, together, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from who the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That this work we have, this collective work of being equipped and then doing the work of the ministry, it is a lifelong work because we are not fully mature yet. The church is not fully mature. It's not going to be perfect until Jesus comes back. So we got a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work before us. And the final picture of the church is Christ as the head, and the rest of us are a bunch of body parts. There are other passages that talk about that, and we fill it all in, and every body part's a little bit different. And the goal is that every part would be working properly. You know, for those of you that are mortal, which I think we all are, do all of your body parts work perfectly? 
properly. No, okay? And there's some of you that are, you know, shaking your heads more than others, and those heads tend to have gray hairs on them. Not universally, right? But our bodies, they just don't work properly. And as time goes on, they tend to work less and less properly. And man, there's certain body parts, and sometimes it's just a little organ or just a little hormone that's off, and it just messes you up. Right? Every little piece has a purpose, and that's God's people. All of us have a purpose in our common goal, in the work of the ministry to build the church up in love, adorned as a bride for Christ. So if you think that, well, I lack certain gifts, you know, I'm not, I'm not a pastory type of person, so there's nothing for me to do. Wrong. There's something for all of us to do. How many of you like potlucks? Or know what a potluck is, right? If you've been in this church, you definitely know what a potluck is. Just in case anyone doesn't know, you know, a potluck, it's a, it's a meal, but everyone just brings like one dish of something. Now, if you're in your car on the way to the potluck and all you have is like some cornbread, or, or you're, maybe you're one of those chips people, you got, you know, you stopped at Hannaford five minutes before and you got some corn chips and like a, you know, a two liter of soda, right? That's not a meal, right? If you broke down to the side of the road, and you just try to eat that. It would not really be that fun of a meal. And yet everyone brings some random thing, like, you know, Becky and Jason's snicker salad, okay? Try eating that for a meal. All right, your teeth are going to rot out instantly. But then all of these dishes come together on the table, and guess what? There's more food than anyone knows what to do with. Isn't that interesting? And yet, if people start taking this mindset to a potluck of, well, no, I'm just coming to eat, right? I'm just coming to get fed. I don't need to bring anything. Other people need to cook for me. There's going to be less and less food. And if everyone takes that approach, there ain't going to be nothing on the table. That's exactly what happens in church. If church becomes all about, well, what can others do for me? How can others feed me and take care of me rather than how can I serve the body to build it up in love? We all start to go hungry. We all start to go hungry. If you remember, I did a series a while back, probably about a year ago, called The Lies That Divide Us. How many people remember that? Okay, good. You didn't completely break my heart. So if you remember that series, we went through these different lies that our church kind of was believing at the time that were messing us up, and we took God's word, and we just attacked those lies said, well, this is what God's word says. And one of those lies that we targeted was this lie that I must be completely cared for and looked after by the church whenever I need it in the exact way I want it. And man, as much as we might read that on the screen, go, that's ridiculous. We all feel that way from time to time. We all feel that way. And we talked about how that lie is really ridiculous because first off, none of us can read minds in here. I can't read your mind. I wouldn't want to read your mind half the time, okay? And the only, the only person who does know your mind, who knows all of your needs, everything that's going on in your noggin is God. And yet, does he meet all of your needs in the exact way you want them met? No, he doesn't. Because his ways are better than your ways, right? So often, we want our needs taken care of a certain way. We say, God, I want you to fix my problem, but I want you to fix it in this exact way. And God says, I'm going to fix it this way, and it's going to make you really upset, but 10 years down the line, it's going to make sense. Also, right, if you just don't tell people your needs, they aren't going to get met, right? Once again, we can't read minds. We need to communicate. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7, once again, talking about spiritual gifts, 
His gifts are given to us for the common good. For the common good. That is, that is what we do, is we serve one another for the common good. And when all of us are looking out for the common good and the good of others and the needs of others, everyone gets taken care of. That's God's model. It was, it was interesting. Uh, Dorothy likes to listen to a lot of podcasts, my wife. Uh, I do too. I just don't have a lot of time anymore. And she was listening to a podcast, and it was talking about psychology and, and a bunch of other uh, random stuff. And it was interesting. The person who was doing this podcast was an expert in the field. And they were saying that there, was, there were studies done that being miserable and thinking about yourself activate the same axis on the brain. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, Right? But I find it interesting, right, when they're the experts that are studying psychology or they're studying nature or, or whatever it is, and it starts to line up with what God's word says, I kind of, my ears perk up a little bit. That in our brains, being miserable and thinking about ourselves activate the same area. Because you know what? We're not made to just think about ourselves 24-7. It's not healthy. Right? I think, I think most of us have been in that place where we were just wallowing. Oh, woe is me. Woe is me. This is wrong and that's wrong. And someone just slapped us and said, hey, what are you doing? We're not made to just think about ourselves. We're made to think about others. And that's the beautiful thing is that Christ in coming down reminds us of how we're actually made to function as servants. I was at an OBCS basketball game uh, about a week ago. I encourage you to, to go if you have the free time. I'm hopefully going to the one on Monday. And there was a guy sitting next to me. And he was just barking out all these random commands at the team. Box out! Use the backboard! Hustle! You know, all that kind of stuff. And I can't judge him because I was doing the same exact thing. Right? That's just what you do at a basketball game is you yell at the team because they aren't doing what they should be doing. Now, here's a question. Do you think the team was listening to us? No! They weren't. There's only one person who has that responsibility. It's the coach, right? It's the coach. And I guess, you know, the players also get to communicate with one another because they're, they're you know, they're on, they're on the court. See, the team can communicate with one another because they're invested. They are working together for a common goal. If your teammate says pass, your teammate says, hey, set a pick, that actually matters because they're invested. Some random, you know, some random dude in the bleachers wearing too much flannel, okay? You don't need to listen to that guy. And yet so, as ridiculous as it sounds, man, sometimes church just turns into a bunch of people in the bleachers, and you're like, there's two guys on the court. What's going on? We're made to work as a team for the common good, to build up the body in love, to live out the Great Commission to bring the gospel to the nations. We all have a part to play. So this, this would be kind of my vision as a pastor. This would be my vision for Hollis Center Church in 2023. I don't know what's going to happen in 2023. But I guess my passion would be that we would take our service to the next level. Then rather than just get busy and become consumers and fall back into a lot of old patterns, is that we would take our service to the next level and we would actually take our service beyond just this church and beyond just this community. Because you know what? God actually, believe it or not, works in places besides Hollis Center, Maine. 
You believe that? I, I believe that, right? That God's actually working outside of this church, outside of Hollis, outside of the surrounding area, in our whole state, actually beyond the state of Maine. There's stuff beyond the state of Maine. That, that God's doing stuff all over the place. And while we cannot accomplish all of it, we cannot be involved in all of it, I think this would be a good season for us to kind of look beyond our usual circle and look for new ways to serve and to step up. Uh, there are just two, two organizations that we are connected with here in the state of Maine. I'd like to just briefly plug for you guys. And you've heard me talk about these before. Uh, first one, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We just started supporting Logan Gailitas and his new wife, uh, Kirsten, as a church. And FCA is a cool organization because they use sports as a way to reach young people in the schools with the gospel. And, man, FCA has an in in the public schools that most Christian organizations just don't have in this area. Uh, And so I did put up the link if you want to support Logan personally. But what I want to actually talk about is that they put on events in our area throughout most of the year. And so if you want to get in touch with Logan, I'm sure they can find a way for you to volunteer. If you have a passion for sports and a passion for young people, they run camps and all sorts of cool stuff that I'm sure they could use some volunteers for. I would love to see Hollis Center Church represented at these events they're having locally in our area. And in a very similar strain, I have Camperia up there. This is the Camperia in Turner, the one that originated in Maine. And it's the ministry that obviously I have a heart for. I was deeply involved with. Um, Dorothy was. Caleb was. Young people are under attack in our culture. They just are. There's just this, this, there's an ideological war against youth right now. There's so many lies being thrown at them. I mean, I thought I had it bad when I was in, in high school, right? And I'm, I'm young enough that I, we actually had smartphones. But at least we didn't have TikTok. And at least all this, this gender ideology hadn't spread around. And, and Dorothy and I, we look at like the, so many of the young people we've invested in over the years, and we are just heartbroken by a lot of the deception going around. And so it's more than ever now that young people need a place to go where they can unplug and they can plug into building quality, real life, in the same space relationships with people who love Jesus. And that's why I think camp ministry is so important. And, and so there are a lot of ways to support Camperia. You know, you could support Cody. You can give directly to the ministry. Some of you have, and I'm so grateful uh, for that. But what I would like to really focus on is... Two things. In the spring, we're going to do a paper goods drive for Camperia. Being a staff member, paper goods was always kind of an issue because we had like a shoestring budget because we wanted to get the kids who needed to be there to camp. So we keep camp costs low, give out a lot of scholarships. Sometimes it meant you didn't have paper towels. And so this year, I just love to bless Camperia that we do a drive out there with, dry, uh, with paper goods. And also work days, right? It's a facility that needs raking and fixing all different skill levels. So I'm going to let you guys know when there's a work day coming up. And I'd love for a bunch of us to meet up in the parking lot and just go up there in full force and just bless their socks off. Right? These are just small ways for us to kind of get connected to what God's doing right outside of our immediate area. I'd encourage you, keep your eyes open, keep your ears to the ground, see what God's doing elsewhere. All right, there's so many cool places where God is working in Maine, New England, and beyond. I'd love to see us invest more in that in the year to come and beyond. Taking the form of a servant is the cure to destructive 
and selfish consuming. Now, I don't normally end with a story, but I'm going to. How many of you like Lord of the Rings? Got some Lord of the Rings people in here? So, need a drink of water for this. So, there's a character in Lord of the Rings named Eowyn. Now, if you've watched the movies, they didn't really do justice to the character because they didn't actually finish her character arc. Because, you know, you got to cut scenes out and all that kind of good stuff. But in the books, you get to see the full character arc of this, this person. So Eowyn is royalty. She is the niece of a king. Unfortunately, there's been a spell put on this king, and he's kind of in this stupor, and he's become this dawdling old man. And she's become kind of embittered because now her responsibility has been to take care of this dawdling old man who does nothing while its kingdom burns. So she is kind of rightly upset about this. Now, as the story progresses and things kind of heat up, um, this king does get released from that spell, and they begin to go go to war against the forces of evil. And so near the end of the story, when there's kind of this big final battle, Theoden, her king, rides off with her brother to go have one giant battle to, to ride for ruin in the world's ending, right? Either we are going to be destroyed or we are going to defeat Sauron and his forces. And she's told to stay behind. Now, she's a capable warrior. And there's even kind of a tradition, right, in this people group of women, you know, wielding swords and going off to battle. But she's told to stay behind because she's the one who needs to lead the people if something bad happens. She has this responsibility to her people. Now, she ignores that responsibility, and she rides out because she wants glory. And the crazy thing is, she actually gets the greatest possible glory you could ever get in battle. You know, basically in single combat, she defeats the Witch King, which if you haven't seen Lord of the Rings, that just sounds like nuts, nutso stuff. But it's, it's really cool if you've seen it or you've read the books. Pearls before swine, I'm telling you. So, anyway. But she falls ill, right? She's wounded in battle. She falls ill, and she's losing the will to live. And so then a different king, the king who's kind of supposed to be the king above all kings, you know, the top-notch king, Aragorn. I see, so those of you who like Lord of the Rings now are like, you're butchering it. And those of you who don't like Lord of the Rings, you're like, this is nerd lingo. I'm trying to translate between the two, and it's it's... It's difficult. So, you know, Aragorn comes and he heals her. And there's a bunch of other stuff that happens I don't really need to get into. Dorothy can tell you about it. She's, she's way more into this stuff than me. She's read the books more times than anyone I know. But, but when she, you know, comes to her senses, she's healed. She submits to Aragorn as the, as the ultimate king. She decides that she doesn't want to be a warrior anymore. She wants to be a healer. And it's, it's this really, really, really beautiful story, right? Because she wanted glory. She wanted to go out and get something that she just desired in her deepest heart. And then when she got it, it wasn't enough and she was losing the will to live. And in the end of the story, she finds her purpose in submitting to the king and devoting her life to helping others. And man, is that not a beautiful picture of the Christian life? Is that so, we live in this culture that is pushing us to have a platform. 
that's encouraging us to gain a following, right? Try to be as clever or as funny as you want on social media. Maybe people will follow you, and eventually maybe you'll get sponsors. And right, you talk to, you talk to kids at elementary school. Almost all of them want to be influencers. And there's so many other ways that, that we as people, we want glory, or we just want respect, or we want money. There's something that we just really want. And yet when Christ comes into our life, something changes. And we realize in submitting to the king that pursuing our own personal glory isn't really going to get us where we want to go. But rather the path, the path to peace, the path to purpose is the path of a servant. And following following the steps of Jesus and serving others and becoming a humble servant. We find purpose in the path of servanthood. So I'd like to encourage you guys with that today. Encourage you to serve in this upcoming year, to serve here, serve the people in your community, and to even serve beyond. Let's pray. Jesus, you were so good to us. We didn't deserve to be served by you. And yet you gave up everything so that we could be sons and daughters of the king. And Lord, one day, when your kingdom is full and complete, Lord, there will be lots of crowns and there will be glory and there will be mansions and there will be so many wonderful things but they aren't going to the people who put themselves first and make themselves great. You said of your kingdom, the the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Help us to have your love to serve others, to put others' needs before our own. And in doing so, may we reflect your character, your love, and may others come to know you. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray.